Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's a fun time of year. Uh, Like Bill said, we are continuing our series, Signs and Wonders, today. And I think oftentimes with Christmas comes this uh, desire for us to experience something extraordinary or make sure it's extraordinary maybe for those we love. And I'm sure there's many of us in here who've spent the last several months making sure that next Sunday's extraordinary for people in our lives. Or maybe you plan to spend the next week making sure it's extraordinary. Or maybe you're one of the ones that's just waiting till next Saturday to see whether or not extraordinary is available on Sunday morning next week. I, I don't know where you are, but this desire for something extraordinary seems to be something we want those around us to experience. Or maybe you've just been really longing for something extraordinary this Christmas. Uh, I know for my five-year-old Abe, the thing that would make next Sunday extraordinary would be a transforming robot dinosaur that was humongous and can be controlled by a remote control. Um, One of the problems is I don't know that that exists, and if it does exist, I probably can't afford it anyways. Um, But that's what would make next Sunday extraordinary for Abe. Maybe for others in here, it's the the fact that the the iPhone 14, you're waiting for that because that promises to make your life so much better. Or maybe it's some other electronic device that gives that same promise. Uh, Maybe for you, this this, uh, thing that would make uh, Christmas extraordinary would be a long-awaited proposal. And if you're the guy that's in that situation, sorry to call you out, it just fit too well with this intro, so had to do it. Uh, or maybe this, this longing for something extraordinary is something like physical healing or restoration that you've been waiting for. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've given up on a longing for extraordinary and you've just settled for what, what's become ordinary in your life. I don't know where you are as you come in here today, but as we get ready to open God's word, one of the things we are going to see is is that God often breaks through in extraordinary ways in and through ordinary moments or in ordinary means in our life, in and through those moments. And then whenever we make ourselves available, we can see God's extraordinary power. We can see God do extraordinary things in and through the ordinary and familiar things in our lives. Now, today we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Now, this is a really familiar passage. It's one that that Phil just showed us how God is provider last week. It's one that you've probably heard many times in your life. I know for me, this passage was one of the three things that marks Christmas. So growing up in the Bondurant household, that was white Christmas, a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then on Christmas morning, uh, we would all, me and my five siblings, would sit on the steps as we would be ready to go downstairs. And my dad would read Luke chapter 2. And I just remember growing up, even seeing my two oldest sisters and another one of my older sisters sitting in front of me, and they would be almost mocking my dad as they mouthed the words because it became so familiar. I think some of us may be in that place today as we come to this passage. It's one that's really familiar, and with familiarity comes this sense of maybe just kind of putting us in a lull of not really paying attention. But again, one of the things we're looking at today is how God often breaks through and does extraordinary things in and through ordinary and familiar moments. So I pray as we even engage in this text that we will be open to maybe God doing something in and through what may be familiar. So Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 says this. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, let's be really clear up front about what this passage is all about. This passage is all about a promised king coming. We see this a little bit in verse four where it talks about Joseph coming from the line of David. It really stresses this line of David language and that's because the people of Israel had long been waiting for a king to come from the line of David. This is because back in 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 16, God gave this promise to David. He said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And David was this hero king for the nation of Israel. He was one that led in and through his worship and he led courageously and boldly. And even when he failed was one that that was described as a man after God's own heart. So God gives this promise to David, but it wasn't long after David passed that, that his family turned away from God and forfeited the kingship that had been entrusted to them. They gave that up, and yet the people of Israel were longing for this king to come. They were longing for God to come through on his promise to establish David's throne forever. This promise here in 2 Samuel 7 was really a a fleshing out of some of God's earlier promises. You could go back to Numbers chapter 24. That was the story with the talking donkey from a couple weeks ago where there was the promise of the star that would rise, that would mark this coming king. That was the the promise that was given uh, that the, the wise men knew where to go because of this. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 was this moment where God gave a promise to Abraham that through him and through his line, God would send one who would be a blessing to all nations. You see these promises being fleshed out as they go, but really that ties all the way back to Genesis chapter three, whenever God promised Adam and Eve, after they had rebelled against God, turned away from him, he still gave them the promise that he would send one through the line of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, who would crush the head of the devil, crush the head of Satan and crush evil once and for all. The people were longing for this promise to come true and they knew that it was gonna come in and through one from the line of David. This story that we're looking at today is all about a coming king and yet this coming king comes in and through surprising circumstances, right? 
I mean, you might expect the coming king to come with some sort of sign of God's great, immense power. We may expect to see God put on display his extraordinary power, and yet that's not what we see in this story. Just notice how unspectacular this story is. We see Mary give birth to a child in this area of the home where the animals are kept. This seems really unfitting for a king, right? We see this birth take place here. We see the baby is swaddled, which is what would happen with any other baby. They thought, hey, if we can keep the limbs straight, that's a good thing, so let's wrap this baby up. And then we see this baby placed where? Baby's placed in a manger. Okay, I thought it's in kids' church, I'll say it starts with an M and ends with anger. Okay, so I thought we were gonna have to go to that level, but we didn't have to, okay? He places this baby in a manger, and the manger is literally a feeding trough. This is the place where the animals ate out of, and I don't think that they placed the baby in the manger because it was especially comfortable. I don't think they placed the baby in the manger because of the Amazon reviews. I I don't think they placed the baby in the manger because Mary and Joseph got mixed up about who was supposed to grab the pack and play on the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Not that that's ever happened in my household, but I don't think that's the reason why baby Jesus ended up in the manger. I think the reason baby Jesus ended up in the manger is that mangers were in any any home where there were animals. And the manger, even though it was ordinary, was available. It was there. I don't think there's some supernatural reason why God chose this manger outside of the fact that it was ordinary and available. I don't want us to miss this today because I think if we look throughout scripture, we'll see sort of a pattern with God that God often chooses to work in and through ordinary and available means. He often chooses to work through what's ordinary, what's just kind of normal, what's maybe not spectacular, but what's there and available. The key here is the availability in this. In just a minute, I want us to even see how this works out throughout the rest of the book of Luke, how God works in and through ordinary and available things. But even looking here at the manger, we see that the point here in the story isn't the manger. The manger is just a sign, right? The manger's just pointing people to something greater. It's just pointing people to letting them know where they can find the Messiah, where they can find the promised king. This is made clear if you go throughout the rest of this passage. Let's just get through here to verse 11. Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Fear not, if you were at the King's Kids show a couple weeks ago, or in this passage, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So what's the big deal that these angels are talking about? What is this good news? Verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So again, let's not be confused. There is no good news at Christmas apart from the coming of Jesus. There's no good news for us this Christmas, 2,000 years later, apart from the fact that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and came to reconcile you and me to God. 
If you're here today and maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus, you think that this is just kind of crazy. Maybe you're here today because you're exploring or maybe you're here today because you think it's the right thing to do at Christmas time. It's what you grew up doing. Or maybe you're here today because the person next to you guilted you into coming. I don't know why you're here, but if you're here and you haven't really embraced Jesus yet, the thing I want you to see before we go any further is that this is all about good news. This is all about the coming of Jesus to be our savior, to come and rescue us. This is the only reason we have good news to celebrate at Christmas is because Jesus came to die in our place. Jesus came to rescue us. He came to give us the chance to have a relationship with him. The extraordinary thing about God isn't this thing that happened necessarily even in the past for us, but the extraordinary reality I want us to even look at today is that God chooses to come and work in and through ordinary moments even today. That God is still at work because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. If you're here, that sounds sort of crazy, or maybe it even sounds intriguing. We, I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards. If you're here and you think that that sounds crazy and you just want to come tell me about it, I'd love to hear it, okay? And if you're here today and you're curious, we'd love to have that conversation as well. This is a really big deal. Now, how is it that the shepherds were going to know, though, that, that this one was the Messiah? How are they going to know who to look for? Well, look at verse 12. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The manger is the sign for the shepherds to know which baby to look for. I don't know how many babies there were in Bethlehem that night, but I know there was probably just one in a manger, right? They were maybe all swaddled, they were all wrapped up in these cloths, but only one was lying in a manger. And we see in verse 16 that they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Again, we often see God choose to work in and through ordinary available means to point to Jesus and to point to the coming of his kingdom. You know what's amazing if you look throughout the book of Luke is that this birth narrative is just the start to God showing this pattern of work throughout the book. Luke goes to say that that he writes his gospel so that we can have certainty about who Jesus is and what he taught. He goes on to tell how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was the purpose that Jesus came for. And I believe that God is still on this mission to seek and save the lost in and through his church today. But what we see if we look throughout the book of Luke is that God is often at work through ordinary available means. We've already talked a little bit about the manger, but if we look throughout the rest of the book, we'll see God continues to do this. And one of the clearest ways we can see this is through something ordinary and available like meals. Something as simple as eating food is a way that we see God at work doing this very same thing. Now, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, uh, Tim Chester, he's a pastor over in the UK, he uh, quotes a guy named Robert Karras who concludes this about the book of Luke. He says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And just to maybe illustrate this, uh, Tim Chester in this book kind of puts together this chart of moments where Jesus is at a meal. We see in Luke chapter five that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners in the house of Levi. 
In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Lord's Supper. In Luke chapter 24, we see the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus. And then later on in that same chapter, he eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 7, when he's at this meal with the Pharisees, has this moment where he says this about himself. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As people observed Jesus' life, he ate so much that what they accused him of was being a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> Jesus took advantage of the ordinary available moments, even like mealtimes, to advance the mission of seeking and saving the lost that he's been sent for. So what's the point here? Well, the how of Jesus running after his mission as the Messiah to seek and save the lost was often through these ordinary available moments like meals. I believe that this is still a way that God is advancing his kingdom today. It's still a way he desires to work in and through his church, which if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, includes you. I think oftentimes we kind of get caught up looking for these extraordinary moments where God decides to use us in really big and powerful ways. We sit around waiting for something so clear, so big that we can't miss it. And we miss the fact that God wants to work in and through the ordinary moments day in and day out. So what ordinary available moments or, or means are there in your life to spend with Jesus and advance this mission he's invited to? Could it be that one of these is how we think about and approach meals? I think this is part of the invitation that we have here from God. So think about it. How could you maybe steward your, your meal times, maybe once a week or once a month with a coworker uh, over lunch where you choose to build an intentional relationship with, with this coworker or with this neighbor in such a way that they begin to see something different about you. They begin to see glimpses of Jesus in and through something as simple as sharing a meal. How could you maybe steward your dinner time at your house? Once a week or once a month, could you invite someone over who doesn't believe like you, look like you, think like you, and maybe learn from them and in the process begin to build a relationship where they can see more of Jesus? Or maybe what you choose to do is you choose to intentionally find some neighbors around you to engage with them, invite them over for a meal once a week or once a month, and in the process, build a relationship where they can see more of Jesus. What are those ordinary available moments in your own life? Now, I'm the first to admit that this isn't like Andrew Bondurant's wheelhouse. Um, I'm a little bit, kind of a lot bit of an introvert, believe it or not. Like I love people as long as it's on my own turf, which means like in this building, I spend a lot of time here. I'm really comfortable talking with people here or in my own home. I love that. But whenever it comes to like leaving those places, sometimes I'm not as comfortable engaging. 
Just a few months ago, we had some new neighbors move in next door, and immediately I felt a prompting to go and introduce myself to them, and so I chose to ignore that for a week until the point where I couldn't ignore it any longer, and I couldn't ignore it any longer because they came over to introduce themselves to our family. (laughs) So they introduced themselves, and the neat thing that came out of that was they had a daughter that was about the same age as my son, and they spent a ton of time playing together over the next several weeks until it got cold out, and we built a little bit of a relationship with this couple as well, and it was one of those things where afterwards my wife and I kind of looked at each other like, oh, this is so good, and yet we missed the chance to kind of jumpstart this. I had the the prompting, but I ignored it because it seemed like it was going to be really uncomfortable, something that maybe seemed a little scary. And thankfully, we were able to build a relationship, but I missed the chance to jumpstart that because, well, who likes being uncomfortable? They came and and introduced themselves. And and that's kind of come out of this is, again, this reminder that we all have these moments that may be ordinary each day. And the question that we kind of have to ask is whether or not we're going to be available in those ordinary moments, right? Those ordinary moments come up and a question comes whether or not we're going to be available. Now, maybe this isn't through mealtimes. There are other ways we can do this as well. Maybe it could be in and through an area of giftedness or education or skill. Phil mentioned last week our Agape team, which serves here at church to walk alongside people who maybe even going through crisis, but to walk with them on that path and and continue to walk this journey towards Jesus with them. Just coming alongside people in and through the process. But that team even has some real needs. Are you a mechanic? Would you be willing to maybe help this team out by understanding how to come alongside families in that way? Well, this team could use you. Do you have a medical background? Could you help this team maybe understand how to come alongside people as they're going through health struggles? This team needs that. Are you a social worker? Would you be willing to come alongside this team to help this team understand how to better love people that are going through hard situations? We're not asking you to add to your caseload, but to use your education, your giftedness to walk alongside people. Do you have the ability to to do home repairs? Could you make yourself available for the occasional home repair for these people that are walking through hard seasons? If that's you, maybe you look at your giftedness, you look at this thing, and you swim in environments where a bunch of people have these skill sets. So you think that that's just the ordinary thing. But would you be willing to maybe make this ordinary thing for you available so that God can work in it to have an extraordinary impact on people's lives? Now, if you have one of those areas or you'd be interested in serving with this team in another way, you can go to cccgo.com forward slash info. There's a a sermon resources button there and you can express interest through a form there. We'd love to get you connected with this team to begin taking steps in this um, sort of direction. Now, there's one thing we probably need to be clear about up front. Serving in this way, making ordinary moments available to God isn't always glamorous and it's not not always comfortable either. Oftentimes, these moments are extremely unglamorous or extremely uncomfortable, and yet we see Jesus step into these moments as well. Sure, there were moments where Jesus walked on water, but that wasn't something he did every day. 
There were many more moments where Jesus was retreating to just go and have alone time and pray. There were even more moments where we see Jesus engaging with people on the margins of society that that would have impacted his reputation, that would have maybe even compromised his health by him engaging with them. And yet Jesus chose to press into these unglamorous, uncomfortable moments. I think God has that same invitation for us as well. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, there was someone in our congregation that came to mind. They, they recently retired and chose to engage in this way. They knew that God wasn't done with them, so they decided to actually come alongside uh, someone that, that is walking through a difficult season in our church, and, and it's not something that's very glamorous. It's not something that's very comfortable. What this often looks like is maybe watching this person's kids or or praying with and for this person, or making sure this person makes it to key appointments, or maybe it's even just letting this person know that they're not alone. And yet in and through these ordinary moments that we make ourselves available, I think this person would tell you that they've seen God use them in really neat ways. It's unglamorous, it's uncomfortable, and yet God works in and through these moments. But guess what? You don't have to be retired to do this either. This is something that God desires to do in and through each one of us. You can do this by choosing to love your coworkers in such a way that they see that you place value on them. You can be a coworker that loves people in such a way that they notice there's something different and they begin to ask questions. What is going on here? Maybe you can love well in your workplace by maybe changing the way you hire or onboard people to love people well in the process of them joining your team. Maybe you can love and care for those around you in greater ways by finishing projects strong or cleaning up after a shift by working in such a way that people begin to ask the question, why is it that you do it that way? Why is it that you care so much and you begin to show that you're working under a different reality? You're working under a different sort of mindset because you are taking advantage of the opportunity in and through these these available moments to point to someone greater. Take advantage of these moments when people even start to ask questions to point to the good news about Jesus. You can do this by simply being a good coworker who mentors young people and allows them to see something different about you. I don't know where we are, if each of us in this room, but I want to encourage each and every one of us this next week to take a step in this direction. To take a step because of what Jesus has done for us. To take advantage of ordinary moments in our lives. To make ourselves available to see what God might do. And we talked at the beginning just about this longing and desire for something extraordinary. I even mentioned how sometimes I think we're looking around for something extraordinary for God to invite us into. The thing I want us to see, even as we look at this passage, is that God often wants to do the extraordinary in and through the ordinary available moments. God wants to work in and through each of us as we follow him in extraordinary ways. He wants to grow us, to stretch us, to challenge us. But this often comes in and through making the ordinary moments available to him when we get to experience Jesus in greater ways and allow our world to experience the goodness of his coming as well. Let's pray together.
Father, I thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. God, I thank you for the reality that because of who Jesus is, it changes everything about our lives. God, I thank you for being a God who works in and through ordinary moments to do extraordinary things. God, I pray that we as a church body would be ready to do that this week, even as we approach Christmas, to make ourselves available for you to work in powerful ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.